Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be here as your obedient children who love you and appreciate you. We just thank you for all you've done for us. Help us not take you for granted, nor take for granted the salvation plan that you designed and also accomplished through your precious Son. Father, at this time, we want to lift up those in our congregation who are suffering, who are struggling. You know who they are and their every pain, and we ask that you show them your comforting hand upon them and that you give them peace knowing that you always have a plan. And let them know, Father, that we're with them in spirit. We wish they could be here, and we are praying for them every day. Father, we ask that you bless this message right now. We need your word. We ask that you enlighten us through your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Christ's precious name, by the power of your spirit. Amen. The Lord is our confidence, part 23. This series keeps going on and on. Longer than uh, pastor thought, I know, but whatever God wants to keep giving us and uh, fitting in, so to speak, for us to think about. So I want to start tonight with a thought to consider. We've obviously been studying the Lord being our confidence. And to make this a greater reality in our lives, that is that He is our confidence no matter what, right? To make that a greater reality in our lives, we must drop confidence in self. And this has been a repeated theme the last few lessons, just from a different angle. But confidence in self can get in the way. You know, confidence in self is a house of cards. Um, we all have different strengths. And when we rely on those strengths and we, we think they're of, of ourselves, so to speak, they really can get in the way. And, you know, just to show how weak confidence in self is, just think about when God's brought you to your knees in some area or with pain or something, and then all of a sudden you're whimpering, right? Lord, help me, I can't do it. Wait a minute, the Lord probably says. I thought you said you could do it a minute ago, right? This confidence in self has to drop. It has to be dropped voluntarily, voluntarily, preferably, instead of him making us go through it and learn the hard way. So as we drop confidence in self, we can have more confidence in the Lord, more pure confidence in the Lord. So we saw on Sunday uh, verses like Romans 12:3 in the Amplified on the board. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has apportioned to each a degree of faith and a purpose designed for service. This is a major point. This is a a major uh, point of importance to us. Pride is the one thing that can destroy our spiritual lives. I mean, wreak havoc. Just might as well put a bomb, you know, just blow everything up. Pride can destroy our spiritual lives. And the problem is, it's very easy to slip into without knowing. And we don't even recognize it when we're being prideful. 
So that's why we need these wonderful reminders in the Word of God and why we need the Word daily. Or we will not be guarded from things like pride. We won't recognize when we fall into pride, which we all do. Galatians 6.3 on the board. For if anyone thinks he is something special, when in fact he is nothing special except in his own eyes, he deceives himself. How, how often do we deceive ourselves in this way? It might be something to think about on your own when you're home alone. How often do I think I'm something when I'm really nothing? So on this note of being prideful or full of ourselves, we might say, we may not realize it, but we give ourselves away. We often give ourselves away. And this is where it takes good, honest friends to help us out at times because we often don't see it. We often don't see when we're being prideful uh, or arrogant or puffed up, but our friends see it. And hopefully, if you have good friends, they actually say something to you when they feel they need to as opposed to just ignoring it and saying, I'll let him suffer, I'll let him crash and burn himself, which a non-true friend who you might hang out with, that's what they would do. So often the easiest way to detect arrogance and pride in another is if they speak more than they listen. And this came up the last couple lessons. And with smartphones now in our hands and technology always beeping at us to take our attention away from others, it's much easier to not really listen to another person. It's an enabler. Technology has enabled us to not invest in another person, to not really listen to another person, to honestly not really care what the other person is saying to us because we care so much about keeping up with our technology or whatever, not missing whatever we think we're missing. And we're missing out on good relationships, like good intimate relationships, like real friendships. We're missing out on those things because we've been swooped in and whatever, gobbled up by, by the speed of life and technology. We don't really listen to each other. So we're the ones that end up missing out. And I want to give you an example. This is what I thought of when I was thinking about this um, and studying. How often do you receive gems from a friend's words at the end of their explanation? Do you know what I mean by that? Someone starts talking about something, trying to explain something about whatever, and you tune them out right away because you can see they might, get, might be going for a little while, and God, God forbid you give them actually 60 seconds of listening, right? So you tune them out about 10 seconds in, and you're thinking about tomorrow while you're pretending to listen. And because, sounds familiar, huh? And because you tune them out, that last Thing they say at the end of their explanation is a, is a gem and you missed it. Like I, I can think of times that that's happened where I thank God that I um, humbled myself. Maybe I didn't feel like listening, but maybe the person even needed, needed to listen. And, and I listened all the way through and at the end it was like, oh, wow, like I never thought of it that way or whatever, whatever it could be. But we're the ones that miss out when we're not good listeners. We're missing out on wisdom if we have uh, good friends and friends that are loving the Lord, of course. 
So if you don't truly listen until the end of a conversation, you won't catch it. Whatever it is that God does want you to catch. And this takes humility. But the reward is great. And God designed life that way. He's like, have these interpersonal relationships where you actually care and listen to each other and put, shut the phone off you know, at dinner or something. You actually shut it off because you love them more than keeping up with things. And something that came up um, on Sunday as I was talking to pastor at the barbecue or the picnic there was that we have to slow down. We have to slow the heck down. Um, if you're older, you can relate to a time when you saw life slower. If you're younger, you might not have the advantage of recalling a time when life was different. So I'm going to call this just real quick the grandpa with a toothpick segment. And hopefully you can picture someone in your life. It might have been your grandfather. It might have been an uncle. Uh, if, it, you know, if you weren't close to your grandfather, I'm sorry, but it's a good analogy. Try to picture someone in your life who was older when you were young and who just walked around chewing on a toothpick. He was in no rush to go anywhere. He walked over to the tree and made sure the tree trunk was solid. Do you know what I'm getting at? Do you know what I'm saying? He walked over to the tree and touched the tree trunk just to check it out, see if it was looking good. And then he walked back to his chair and he, whatever, took about 20 minutes stuffing his pipe. What was going on there? Life was a lot different and a lot slower 50 years ago. But I, I, I tend to think they were onto something. Whether they knew it or not and whether they were spiritual or not, that's another issue. But the attitude was, we'll get there when we get there. You ever do that to an older person when you were a kid? Are we there yet? Can we hurry up? We'll get there when we get there. How about this one? Can't get blood from a stone. Ever hear that one? Somebody wants money? Can't get blood from a stone. What do you see there? You see faith. You see uh, confidence in the Lord, hopefully. You see a relaxed attitude. And we just talked about on Sunday, just we have to slow down. We're, we're allowing ourselves to get sucked into the vortex, whatever analogy you want to use. And it's going faster and faster and faster. And we don't realize we're doing it. And that's why we have to make conscious decisions to protect our lifestyle and have it be a simple one. Anyway, so back to being good listeners. This came up on Sunday. On the grand scale of things, it's much better to be a good listener than a good speaker. So says the Word of God. Proverbs 17, uh, I'm sorry, 10, 17 through 21, 17, 28, 18, 2, and James 1, 19 through 20. As came out on Sunday also, a person who listens more than they speak is a person who trusts in the Word of God, who believes the Word of God. Turn again to Proverbs 10, verse 17. Again, on the grand scale of things, it's much better to be a good listener than a good speaker. And it reveals trust in the Word of God. Proverbs 10, 17. He is on the path of life who heeds instruction. 
but he who ignores reproof goes astray. So notice the one who heeds instruction, that's someone who actually listens. You have to listen to heed instruction. And that person is on the path of life. True life, in other words. He who conceals hatred has lying lips. And he who spreads slander is a fool. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. And guess what? You won't understand anything if you don't listen. Again, look at verse 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Isn't that funny? It's like we basically saying you get yourself in trouble if you keep talking. You're going to slip up somewhere. You're going to say something you shouldn't say, etc., but he who restrains his lips is wise. Maybe we should just learn from this simple counsel. Go to Proverbs seventeen twenty-eight. Proverbs seventeen twenty-eight. <clears throat> Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Just think, you could fake out a lot of people. <laughs> you really could, but uh, that's not the point. But Just be, uh, be wise by not opening your mouth. And Proverbs 18.2, Proverbs 18.2, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Now, that verse says a mouthful, doesn't it? The fool does not delight in understanding. In other words, I don't really want to listen and learn anything. But only in revealing his own mind. In other words, I think I know everything. We tend to think we ourselves are always right. If you're honest, you catch yourself once in a while, or at least you recognize that once in a while. Am I, am, I, am I being um, overly confident here in my knowledge, my wisdom? Um, why do I always speak as though I have everything right and that maybe someone else doesn't have something to add? We're so arrogant is what it comes down to, every single one of us. And God is telling all of us right now to button up our lips and be a better listener. This is the counsel from the Spirit, the wisdom of God to help us along, to help us, to help the Lord be our confidence. How is the Lord going to be your confidence if you're not willing to listen to the Word and to those who have the Word? He's not. not he's not going to be like it should be. So the Spirit is telling us, be better listeners. This is one reason we sheep need the authority of an under-shepherd who corrects us and trains us. We actually need that. Otherwise, we'd just be running wild at the mouth, infatuated with our own supposed wisdom. That's what happens when someone keeps talking. They think they're so wise that they, they want to show people how wise they are, so they keep talking. 
And let me show you how much smarter I am. You don't say those words, but that's what you kind of keep doing when you blabber on and on and on. And uh, we all do it, but that's why we need an under-shepherd as a trainer and as someone who um, can reel us in at the right time. After all, there's a reason God gave the shepherd the rod and the staff. Someone who's willing to tell us the truth, even about ourselves, as he sees things in us that we don't see. Amen? That could be your pastor, your shepherd. That could be your best friend, who's hopefully in the Word of God. That could be Jesus, your best friend, in your personal time with him. James 1, 19 and 20 on the board in the Amplified. Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear, be a careful, thoughtful listener, slow to speak, a speaker of carefully chosen words, and slow to anger, patient, reflective, forgiving. For the resentful, deep-seated anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, that standard of behavior which he requires from us. A lot of wisdom. We've all heard the following expression. There's a reason we've been created with two ears and only one mouth. Maybe your grandpa with the toothpick told you that from the beginning. Why did God create us with two ears and one mouth? Maybe we should be listening twice as much. And for some of us, this is a major challenge. Right, ladies? I'm just teasing. I had to get that in there. Hey, I know a lot of guys that go on and on and on and on too, so I'm just kidding. But it is a major challenge for some of us. You know who you are, I guess. Or do you? But if we humble ourselves before the Lord, this is the good news. You know, we might have this problem, but if we humble ourselves before the Lord, He will enable us to live even in this miracle where we close our mouths, you know, and listen more. It's back to humility. So again, on the board... On the grand scale of things, it's much better to be a good listener than a good speaker. The Spirit gave us another challenge to consider on Sunday, that we say we love and trust God, but do we really? And to what degree? Might be the better question. The point was that none of us do it perfectly. And we can all say the right thing, but none of us do it perfectly or all the time. We all lapse in our trust of God. We even doubt God at times in certain areas that bother us. And if the Spirit right now revealed our hearts on the matter of trusting Him, what would be revealed on the screen for all of us to see? Honestly. So the point was Sunday is one thing to say the right thing, to make a proclamation, to utter the right words about trusting God. It's another thing to believe it in your hearts. It's another thing to believe Him in our hearts for whatever His Word says. So this is where keeping our mouths shut might be very wise. If we can't say something with conviction in our hearts, why say it at all? Even if it's regarding what we should say, 
For example, I love God, I trust God. Even if it's regarding those things, if we can't say something like that with conviction in our hearts, then maybe we shouldn't say it at all. Maybe we should keep, keep our mouths closed and just pray more. Reach out for help to the Lord for help with those weaknesses. But why put on an act? More proof that we don't love and trust the Lord like we should is that we often fail to obey Him. God wants us to be open and honest about everything. There's no use hiding it or acting, saying the right things if they're not from the heart. And so we rightly admit that we're not always in the sphere of God's love that we'd like to be in. And the evidence, again, of that is that we don't always keep His commands. That's the proof against us. We could say, I love God all we want. If we don't keep His commands, we're basically proving that we don't, showing that we don't, at least not like we think we do. But the encouraging reminder on Sunday was this, and this just came out from the Spirit. Uh, this was not in Pastor's notes. He said, our Lord wants us to fall head over heels in love with Him as our dearest and best friend and our bridegroom and our Savior. Think of the word Savior. Someone that saved us, right? Do we forget that? Like, how do we not fall for and want to serve with all our hearts someone that saved us from death? But the Lord hopes that we get the heck out of the way, stop having confidence in self, that we fall head over heels in love with Christ in appreciation of him as our dearest and best friends for what he did for us. And what also was said on Sunday is that you were personally on his mind when he hung on the cross. That's something that's hard to comprehend. But he was God, too. You were personally on his mind when he hung on the cross. So this is a key emphasis from Sunday on the board. Abiding in the sphere of love. To love is to trust. Minimally, you have to believe that love exists. And truth is the anchor of love and trust. Notice again, truth is the anchor of love and trust. Without truth, our souls are going to wander, looking around for other sources of love and stability. Only when we're without truth do we do that thing. With truth, we're shown the way clearly, even how to love and trust our God and Savior more and more. Truth is the anchor of love and trust. Without truth, you're not going to know about, you're not going to understand the love of God. So again, on the board, abiding in the sphere of love. To love is to trust. Minimally, you have to believe that love exists, and truth is the anchor of love and trust. So keep that in mind as the Spirit also asked us to synthesize the following things on the board. Keep in mind in John 1.14, Jesus is described as full of grace and truth. In John 8.32, he said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Galatians 5.1, it was for freedom 
that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There's a purpose. There's an objective of truth. And that is, honestly, to set us free, to save us. And who is the truth? It's Him. So when we stick to the truth with desire to know Him in our hearts, we receive freedom in our souls. There's no other way to receive freedom. Only submitting to the truth can set us free in this life because we see and know His love. We understand His love. And our Lord wants us to trust Him implicitly, holding no doubts about His love for us. And that's difficult for us because we're in the flesh and we're in the world. He doesn't just want us to say we accept His love because we understand it academically, because we read it in the Word of God and we say, okay. He wants us to trust Him. So there's a personal engagement there with Him. Very personal engagement with Him. Trust is a matter of the heart. That's why it's so personal. So keep thinking about the verses on the board and let's compare it with another challenging verse that we saw on Sunday. Turn to Luke 14, 26. Luke 14, 26. That's why surrender is such a, a good word to describe our relationship with God. It's not just seeing what the Bible says and accepting it on a surface level. It's, it's accounting it to your heart. It's a surrender. Anyhow, uh, look at Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate or love so much less than they love Jesus, his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. As the Spirit helped us conclude on Sunday, on the board, abiding in the sphere of love, the Lord wants us to love and trust Him implicitly. And the only path to that kind of loving relationship is the truth of the Word of God. There's no other way to get there. And the Lord, our precious Savior and jealous God, wants all of us. He wants all of us without any holding back. As in Mark 12, 28 through 34. Only the truth in our souls possessing our own convictions about the truth, is going to set us free. Again, the truth is our anchor, the anchor of trust and love. And that means we're free to love him freely without any hang-ups or doubts. So again, on the board, abiding in the sphere of love, 
The Lord wants us to love and trust Him implicitly, and the only path to that kind of loving relationship is the truth of the Word of God. And the Lord, our precious Savior and jealous God, wants all of us. Turn to Mark 12, 28. Mark 12, 28. Otherwise, Jesus would say, you cannot be my disciple. Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel. Notice the word hear, right? We just talked about listening more than speaking. The foremost is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This man had wisdom. And his wisdom was about the love of God. And the Lord acknowledged his wisdom. The wisdom was that loving God and others is far greater than any work or sacrifice we can perform. And that's wisdom the Spirit wants us all to grab hold of right now. If you don't have that firm in your soul, in terms of like your priority list, of what's spiritual and what's not. The Spirit is saying, grab hold of this right now. That loving God and others is far greater than any work or sacrifice we can perform. What did Jesus say about these, these two commands? There's no other commandment greater than these. There's a heck, a heck of a lot more commandments. There's no other commandment greater than these. These trump everything else. What does it involve? Love. If love's not top priority, if love's not your motivation, we know the actions can be useless in God's eyes. This man who responded to Jesus intelligently understood the principles of 1 Corinthians 13, even though it wasn't written yet, which basically says doing the greatest works in the world without love is nothing in God's eyes. So, the Spirit's saying, grab hold of that if you haven't grabbed hold of that already, you know? That even the stuff we do in the church or out, outside the church, the, the activities that we think God wants us to do, they're worthless if loving God and loving others is not considered far greater in your heart. 
So, that being said, we fall so short of our dear Heavenly Father's desire for us, which is to know His love and to love Him. To know His love and to love Him. And yet God remains patient with us. As long as we're humble and willing to learn, He remains patient with us. But He wants to get us to that place where we love Him this much. All right? Like this command is impossible to do in your, in your flesh. And that's why we struggle, because we battle with the flesh and the spirit every single day. But God wants to get us to a place where we love him that much, where um, we love him much more than, far much more than mother, father, sister, brother, our own life, etc. And that's what we will truly set us free, is what the Spirit's saying. We are set free by the truth, right? The truth is that he loves us that much. The truth is what reveals the degree of God's love for us and therefore our ability to love him in return. Without the truth, we shall be lost. We shall be in slavery, in bondage. We will not be set free. So I encourage you all to go home and read this passage on your own time and prayerfully consider it between you and the Lord. So again, because of our shortcomings, even knowing we lack proper love for the Lord, this is where reading the Bible can be painful at times, as our dear pastor intimated for us on Sunday. It's painful at times. We know we don't love Him like we should like the commands call for us to love him. When we see ourselves opposed to the perfect light of truth, we feel a punch to the stomach, losing our wind even, literally, at times when we read the Bible. But that kind of pain is good, and we actually need it to move beyond ourselves, to stop having confidence in self, and move into greater fellowship and love with God. We need the pain. We need to see the ugliness. We need to see the wretchedness in us. Because it will help us surrender more and more. It will help us draw closer to the love of God. Turn again in your Bibles to Luke 5, verse 3. Luke 5, 3. We saw this painful example in Peter's life. It just hit him like a ton of bricks. The magnitude of the gap between himself and the Lord. Luke 5, 3. And he got into one of the boats, the Lord did, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. 
So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In the Lord's perfect light, there's the pain of living a life against him. This is why Paul called himself in Romans 7, wretched. Paul understood the depths of sin versus the holiness of God, as Peter saw intimately in this moment. So just listen carefully to this. The more the light of truth shines on us, the more we see, the more ugliness we see, but also the more we can be set free from. So we shouldn't be despairing uh, when we see the painful truths and how far we are from God in terms of our thinking, our activity even. The more the light of truth shines on us, like it did here on Peter, the more we see, but also the more we can be set free from, the more we can move on from. So don't miss that part of the equation. That's why we persist in the Word of God. Again, Luke 5, 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And even though Peter, in his distraught realization of self, asked the Lord to leave him, he knew the Lord was his only hope. As we know, he later concluded, I can't leave you. He told the Lord to leave him, but he basically said, I can't leave you, Lord. I need you. In John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. An interesting dichotomy. Again, if we're humble, the realization of our depravity should lead us closer and closer to him. It's painful at times but it will lead us closer and closer to him if we don't quit. So let's remember there's a challenge on the table that came up on Sunday. We say we love and trust the Lord, but we don't really want to stand directly in the light of truth. We want to stand like to the side, if you know what I mean, so you don't have to look at all the words. We just want to take in some of it, maybe have a visor on so we don't see or have some sunglasses on. We don't want to be hit straight with the light of truth. We can't bear it sometimes. And for example, we don't want our friends to be totally honest with us. We don't want them to be totally honest with us. But that's all our best friend, Jesus Christ, can do. And as we grow up and we mature, we realize this is good. This is true friendship. But it comes down to our acceptance of his good counsel or turning a blind eye. As Pastor said on Sunday, when we're weak, we seek out people who will lie to us. The way like I computed that for myself is we seek out people who will tell us what we want to hear. You ever have friends like that? I could think of friends in my youth where we hung out because 
you know, obviously you have the same likes and dislikes, but also you kind of told each other what you wanted to hear, you know. I don't want to go hang, hang with that guy because he's too honest with me about my weaknesses, let's say. But these guys, they'll, they'll just go along with it, basically lie to me, and vice versa. And that's part of our horrible flesh. But we like people to tell us what we want to hear, and we call those people friends, and that's how messed up we can be. But consider the perfect man, the God-man, our best friend, our Savior. And this came out on Sunday on the board. Jesus. Or, on one hand, we have 24-7 access to the greatest friend we'll ever know. But instead, we turn our backs on him and seek out wretched creatures to soothe our bruised egos. Very well said. On one hand, we have 24-7 access to the greatest, most honest, most loving, most compassionate friend we'll ever know. But instead, we turn our backs on him and seek out wretched creatures to soothe our bruised egos. Tell me what I want to hear. I'm not willing to accept the truth right now. Tell me what I want to hear. That's what we say to those that we know won't challenge us. And what's the cause of our bad decisions, according to this point on the board? What's the cause of our bad choices regarding friends? Our bruised egos. Does it sound like what we were talking about at the beginning with pride? Thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think? We each possess more pride than we like to think we do. And that's what gets us in trouble and leads us into deception. L listen, if we didn't have a bruised ego, if we didn't allow ourselves to have bruised egos, we'd be with the Lord all the time and be totally happy. But because of our sensitivity, because of our pride, we seek out what we want to hear. But our Lord is trustworthy. He will always level with us, and that's one reason we come to love him so much. It takes time, <laughs> right? It's painful. Um, but the more we, again, accept this, the more we receive his good counsel, the more we love him. So on the board, this also came up on Sunday. Freedom comes from trusting the truth. When we approach the truth, for example, reading our Bible, we must do so in faith and trust. Without trust leading the way, it's too easy to reject what we find. If we reject what we find, we are stunting our own growth and freedom. Remember, freedom comes from learning the truth, the truth about God's love, ultimately, We cast that aside when we enter into Bible study with the wrong attitude. So this is like reading the Bible with humility, going into it. When you're about to open up your Bible, do you make a conscious decision to be humble? This is like reading your Bible, but asking to be filled with the Spirit, going into it. 
instead of opening up the Bible with some type of little skeptical attitude or little uh, resentful attitude against God about something in your life that's bothering you. That's where confession and repentance comes in, by the way, to make sure that we, you know, read it with the right heart, approach him with the right heart. One can open the Bible with an attitude of skepticism or indifference, or one can open the Bible with an attitude of humble seeking. And, listen carefully, that will make all the difference in what you find. Let me say that again. And I experienced this while in the back office reviewing my notes before class. One can open the Bible with an attitude of skepticism or indifference, or one can open the Bible with an attitude of humble seeking. And that will make all the difference in what you find. Seek and you will find, right? But it's how you seek will determine what you find. So I was reading a, a passage that's in my notes, and I found my mind wandering on something else. So I stopped, right? Said, all right, sorry, Lord. Went back to the beginning of the passage and saw something I didn't see before. I was already in the middle of the passage. I was already past that point that I, quote, unquote, discovered. But because I went back, because I realized I was out of line, my, my you know, thoughts weren't with him, weren't seeking humbly in that very moment. We know how quick our mind can race, right? Some of you right now are thinking about ice cream. What the heck? Well, the ice cream talk before service. Sheesh. How are you going to concentrate? Anyway, how you read the Bible, how you come to Bible class, with what the attitude you have, that's going to determine what you find, what God lets you find what God lets you see. So again on the board, freedom comes from trusting the truth. When we approach the truth, for example, reading our Bible, we must do so in faith and trust. Without trust leading the way, it's too easy to reject what we find. If we reject what we find, we are stunting our own growth and freedom. And something else to think about from Sunday regarding trust, also known as faith. It's a counterfeit quest for truth if you reserve the right to reject it once you find it. Your heart's not right. You're acting the part, you're playing the part that you're seeking. But it's a counterfeit quest for truth if you, in your mind, back of your mind, reserve the right to reject it once you find it. In other words, reading the Bible without the faith of a child, the trust of a child. You're not really seeking. So Jesus is our best friend because he acts like our best friend. He always tells us the truth, and he even calls us to be his friends in the process. Crazy thought when you think about it. He always tells us the truth. Here we are rebelling against it, kicking against it, and he even calls us to be his friends in the process. He tells us, I'm not a so-called friend who can't be trusted or is going to let you down. I'm the real deal. I love you fully. I'll even let you see my plan. I'll even let you in on my plan. Turn in your Bibles again to John 15, verse 9. John 15, 9. 
have some good allergies today? They've been kicking, huh? So again, the Lord says, I'll even let you in on my plan. I'm, like, I'm not just saying I want you to be my friend. I'm going to tell you the stuff that only friends tell each other. John 15, 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Do you see he's concerned about our joy here? He actually is a friend who cares. That your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. The Lord, our true friend, invites us to a place of vulnerability with him. We can be vulnerable with him. He reveals secret truths of the Father to us, opening himself up to be ridiculed even, to be attacked even. But he is willing to do that as a friend. We are loved by him while we're naked and ugly and rebelling against him. This is the freedom a true friend offers you. To be in that state, that ugly state, but to still love you. So on the board... The sphere of love, John 15, 9 through 17. Here's a summary that was on the board on Sunday. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. But I have called you friends. This I command you, that you love one another. Do you see a repetitive theme here? And do you remember the verse that says his commands are not burdensome? There's only one reason his commands are not burdensome. That's if you have the love of God a love for God. So, on the board, again, regarding the sphere of love, when we believe and trust that His commands are given to us out of love, we will receive His peace. What's the only reason we don't have His peace? Because we don't believe or trust that His commands are are from His love and His love only. That's the only reason we're not at peace with him. We don't really believe his commands are out of love for us. Trust is the issue, standing between us and an intimate relationship with the Lord. To find this place of wisdom, we have to change our perspective. 
and our pastor helped us with that on Sunday on the board. He said, relish his commands. Commands aren't hammers, they're lights. That's a neat, different way to look at his commands. That the adolescent, immature teenager refuses to do, wanting everything their way. But if we humble ourselves and choose to take this perspective, we look at his commands totally differently. We actually believe, we actually trust that they're for our good. We actually believe that he loves us so much that he told us the right things to do for our benefit. Not because he's just trying to lord it over us or something. Relish his commands. Think about that kind of an attitude towards commands, right? Wow, what's the next command? I want to, I want to do the next command. And that's what brings us to freedom. Because in that very thing where believing is love for us, we're going all in, we're diving all in. Relish his commands. Commands aren't hammers, they're lights. Lights show the way to true life. The question is, do we believe it? Do we trust him? The Lord's commands are actually good for us. Obey or miss out. That should be our perspective. Obey or miss out. We miss out when we disobey. So the Spirit wants to close this way tonight. I mean, we've had a lot um, thrown at us, so to speak, a lot of challenges, right? I just want you to think about this on the board. Be encouraged. God has been after us. That's what I thought of on Sunday during the message. Be encouraged. God has been after us. What do I mean? He's been pressing us for a long time now. Almost like a father who sees his son getting it and growing. So he gives him more to see how much blessing he can trust him with. Does that make sense? That's what God the Father is doing for us. And he's, he's after us. He's pressing us for a really good reason. We must be able to handle it. He must know that we're willing to go forward regardless of the challenge. That we at least want to trust him more. We at least want to love him more, even as we struggle. So God has been after us. I hope you're encouraged by that. And changing our perspective about his commands and that they solely come from his love, that's what will truly set us free and grant us his peace if we decide to trust him. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for opening up our eyes through your spirit and through your word. We thank you for the light that shines on the darkness. We thank you for the truth that you've designed to set us free and you terribly want us to be free as the good father that you are. Father, help us trust in your truth more. Help us trust that everything in your word is for our benefit out of your love for us. And help us to continue to be humbled before you 
watch you do the work in our lives. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go and help us do and answer our call, the calling you have on each one of us out there in this world to fulfill your plan for our lives. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.